0: Welcome to an inspirational teaching by Pastor Victor DeMonte, the senior pastor of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 28 and verse 17, and you'll see the reason why this initiative is important. Now, this is what happened when Jesus rose or was resurrected, he appeared to his disciples. And their first response was to worship him. And it says there in verse 17, but some of them doubted. Now, they doubted because they saw Jesus crucified, and not to see him in his resurrected form was something that they could not comprehend. And they looked at Jesus, and they said, could this be the, the same Jesus who walked with us, taught us, did miracles, hung on the cross, and now was alive? But nevertheless, Jesus said this in verse verse 18. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Now, all authority signifies that Jesus has supreme authority. There is no authority greater than the authority of Jesus in the spiritual realm. Heaven speaks of the spiritual realm and so you don't have to be frightened of darkness or the powers of darkness because you have a name that you can trust a name of Jesus which is higher than every principality power might and dominion and we talk it and the bible talks about it in the book of philippians in an expanded ma- manner not only does jesus have all authority in the spiritual realm he has all authority in the earthly realm all authority, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Who gave it to him? The Father gave it to him, which is in heaven as well as on the earth. And that's why there's a famous song that we used to sing, the name of the Lord is like a strong tower, we will run into it and find refuge. The name of Jesus is powerful. The name of Jesus connects us from an earthly point of view to a spiritual point with God. And so Jesus is saying, all authority is given to me in heaven as well as on the earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So that's the mandate. The church has only one goal and one mandate. And that goal and mandate for the church, no matter where the church is, is to go and say the word, make disciples. Make disciples. Now, making is a process. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes commitment to make anything. Jesus says, I will build my church. Whether you're building a church, building a career, making disciples, it involves dedication, time, and effort. And Jesus says, I am sending you now because all authority is given to me. Go and make disciples. Now, every gift that God has given you is meant for the common goal of making disciples, I want to illustrate this from a story that I once heard, where this mother, single mother, had a son who was very busy, and he would have no time to spend at home. And one day he had a off day or of leave, and his mother told him, "Son, today is your your leave. You have a day off. I would like you to do only one thing for me. Would you throw the garbage?" out from the kitchen. And he says, sure, mom, I'll do it for you. Every day you do it, I'm happy to do it once. And so the mother took off, went out to enjoy her day. And uh, the son woke up in the morning, saw the kitchen, went and tidied it up, went into the hall room, saw the hall room needed some uh, rearranging of furniture. He rearranged it. and, And he went out. He saw the lawn was not mowed. He mowed the lawn. And by the time he finished all of this, his mother rang the bell and came home. And when she went to the kitchen, she found the garbage bank still not thrown out. And she says, son, I'd asked you to do only one thing, throw the garbage can out. And he says, ma, but I was busy with the kitchen. I was busy with rearranging furniture. I was busy with mowing the garden. And the mother said, son, I do that every day. And that's not a problem for me. I only ask you one thing, and that one thing is, throw the garbage can out, which you didn't do. And somehow that story reflects the condition of the church today. We are so busy running around, playing with our gifts, exhibiting the gifts of the Spirit, but we have failed to fulfill the mandate that God has given us. The one thing that God called us to do is to make disciples. He didn't tell us to do anything else. He didn't tell us To, you know, be busy with activity and have activity and programs. He told us, with all that you do, everything that you do, it must revolve with a common goal of making disciples. Now, when I understood that, it redefined my life and made my life more simple. Because I realized we're living in a very needy world. And as long as we are in this world, people will have plenty of needs and plenty of demands. And I noticed that the more miracles that people see happening in the ministry, the more deliverance that people experience, the greater the demand is on our life. But I asked myself a question. I said, am I here to only bring healing and deliverance to people, or am I here to make disciples? And that altered a huge part of my journey. And from that day onwards, If I'm not able to contribute to use the gifts that God's given me to produce and make a disciple, I'm wasting my time. Hello? Because I know there are a lot of followers and few disciples. Followers are only looking at what they can get and they're looking for a comfortable lifestyle and though. Even in Jesus' day, there were more followers than disciples. But did you know that Jesus spent most of his time with the disciples rather than with his followers? Because wherever you go, there will be followers for whatever reason. Because they can get something. But disciples lead their lives for a cause. Disciples give themselves to producing other disciples. They live radical lives. They live lives that will change cities and probably change nations. When Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, he was defining the mission of the church. And then he said, go and baptize those who believe. You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The first sign when you're born again of your genuine experience with God is followed by an act of obedience, water baptism. It's just a sign that God has touched your life. Your, it's a sign of your obedience to Christ. Water baptism is also a sign of your belonging to Christ. That's why he says, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In a time of water, being water baptized, The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit endorses your decision. And then he goes on to say, teaching them to observe or to obey all things. Now the word teach is about instructing. Obedience and observing means following the lifestyle. What did Jesus tell them to teach? Teach them everything that Jesus taught you. And that's the simple instruction. Jesus trained his disciples, and he says, now you go train them. We have a very good name, train the trainers. Sounds very dignified. Even Jesus did it before. He introduced it, actually. If you want to call it that, train the trainers, and make it look nice. But he understood that in a world of chaos, in a world of confusion, in a world where there's a breakdown of morals, the answer for world's, this world's problems Laid in 11 men who were willing to be disciples. That's the answer. Those 11 men took the mandate and has brought the gospel to every one of us and to the corners of the world. Took those 11 men. If there's going to be a hope for the future, it's going to take men and women to rise up to this call. Take a hold of the mandate. Leave behind a generation that has learned to observe what God has taught you. And taught me, Jesus says, Lord, I am with you always. Whenever there's a discipleship relationship happening, Jesus says, I am there with you. I am there to transfer that ability and bring transformation in individuals' lives. Now, discipleship helps us to embrace a kingdom lifestyle. It alters our lifestyle. It changes the way we think for for the better. And wherever you are held in darkness, bring, discipleship brings you out from that place of darkness and brings you into a place of freedom. Now, most Christians like to be part of the crowd because it's convenient. God didn't tell pastors, evangelists, and people, go and make others decide or make a decision to follow Christ. It says make disciples. Soon as a person says a sinner's prayer, we saying, wow, our job is finished. No, the minute they say a prayer and accept Christ, that's where our job begins. It doesn't end. Salvation is the work of the Spirit. Our work is the work of discipling. Jesus says, I will see people who are born again and transformed. You make them disciples. And so we Walk into this part of the sampling with a clarity in our mind. It is God who transforms and we only bring in, we assist God in the teaching and the discipling of change of lifestyle and change of thinking. What is the difference between a follower and a disciple? Followers are ones who follow and worship God for what he does. You're so caught up with the miracles, the breakthroughs, the blessing that God gives while as disciples worship God for who he is. Irrespective of their circumstances, what happens around them, they have a revelation of who Christ is, and they are worshippers for his character. The second difference is, disciples acknowledge Jesus as the Lord of their lives. Followers accept Jesus as the Savior of their life. What's the difference? Savior is what God does, Lordship is who Jesus is. I'll explain that. Okay, let me explain that right away. You know, the word Savior is only mentioned 36 times in the Bible. The word Savior means he saves us from our sin, our poverty, our sickness, and whatever it is. He's our Savior. That's what Jesus does. Lordship is about his authority or position that we give him in our lives. And Jesus wants us to make him Lord, not just being Savior, but also being Lord over our life. Disciples have embraced the Lordship of Jesus. For them, the highest priority is the will of God. Is my life pleasing to God? Am I walking in the way that God has called me to walk? That's the heart of a disciple. For a disciple, the third thing, Jesus is their inspiration and their role model. You imitate the life of Jesus. You want to demonstrate the life of Jesus in your speak, in your speech, in your actions, in your attitudes. You're living out the life that God has given to you and me. That's why the Bible talks about the lordship of Jesus 7,800 times in the Bible. Lord, 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 Lord. It's one thing to know Jesus as Savior. It's another thing to know Jesus as Lord. The first mention of the disciples are given in Matthew chapter 10, verse 2 to 4, were the original disciples that Jesus called. They were ordinary fishermen. They were tax collectors, ordinary. But God, through his son Jesus, transformed their lives as they committed their lives to being a disciple of Jesus. These 12 men, or 11 men, acknowledged Jesus not only as Savior, but also acknowledge them as their Lord. So why is this important in today's time and day? Why is this important for the church? Because discipleship revolves around two things. One is, discipleship is about transformation of character and the transference of ability. Can you say this after me? Discipleship involves transformation of character and transference of ability. Now, wherever we look in the Bible, you'll see these two things happening. In today's world, we've made discipleship about knowledge in a textbook. It's more than that. It's about a life being transformed. This book will not just give you information, it will transform your life because that's the heart of God. What is the difference between transformation and just making a decision for Christ? A person who just makes a decision for Christ learns to live a compromised life with all the unnecessary baggages in their life. A transformed life is when God steps into an individual's life and delivers them from the very desires that's been haunting them. There's a transformation, there is a joy, there's a peace, there's a natural sense of response to God that comes out of a transforming work of the Spirit of God. So all discipleship must involve transformation of character and transference of ability. You being a disciple, you never stay as a disciple. Discipleship positions you for a mission, for an assignment that God has for every one of us. And that's why those disciples never stayed as disciples. Jesus designated the same disciples as apostles. Why apostles? Apostle means sent out with an assignment. That's the meaning of the word apostle, the sent one. And every Christian must have an apostolic call on their life, sent for a purpose and a mission. The school is... Is, is an apostolic mission sent to reach out and to educate and to transform the community. It's a sense of mission. Your life can have a sense of mission. That's what discipleship is all about. The second reason why discipleship is important, it prepares the next generation. That's how Jesus transferred whatever he taught to his disciples. He says, now you take it and you pass it on to the next disciples. And there was a second generation of disciples who experienced both transformation of character as well as transference of ability. This whole process of discipleship is not just a New Testament idea, it was God's idea right from the beginning. And we see examples, and we don't have time to look at all of the examples. Well, we'll just look at a few or two examples in the Old Testament, and then we'll look at some of the examples in the New Testament. We'll look at the life of Moses and Joshua. And I want you to follow with me. There's the screen which has the verses, and you will catch the the heart behind it. It says there that after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. What was Joshua? Say it again. What was Joshua? I learned something. Whenever you assist someone, you become what uh, they are. Am I right? All you got to do, that's the best apprenticeship that you could ever have, assist someone. If you hang around enough with the IT guy, you will start talking the IT techie language. Am I right? Obvious. You just pick up who whoever you hang around with. And so here was Joshua, who saw the life of Moses, saw the presence of God in God speaking to him, and he committed his life to just assisting Moses, that's all he did, assist. When Moses was in the tabernacle, he will wait till Moses comes out and he will assist. I don't even know that Joshua knew what was ahead of him. He was just faithful in assisting. He was faithful in just getting involved. He was passionate for the things of God. And that's a mark of a disciple. Moses, my servant is dead. This is God speaking. Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan. God is speaking to Mo- to Joshua, you and all those people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Each place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, I have given you. In God's mind, it's a done deal. I've given it to you, as I said to Moses. Whatever mission that God gave to Moses is the same mission that Joshua had. Only the bodies changed. From Moses' body to Joshua's body. Mission is the same, God is the same. Goes on in verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. God is assuring Joshua, go ahead, I'm with you. As I was with Moses, I will also be with you. Transference of ability. Now there is a moment in an individual's life. When you've been faithful in your walk with God, there's a transference that will happen. Suddenly the ability that was on the person you looked up to and received instruction will be transferred onto you. It's a transference that happened on Joshua's life. And he says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do all according to the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Same thing in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says, go make disciples, teaching them to observe and to obey all that I commanded you. Can you see the principle is the same? The instruction is the same. The heart of God is the same. It's only one generation to another changes. But the mandate is still the same. God's design of changing this world is the same. And so God is telling Moses, all I am saying, look at the language God says, Joshua. You observe all that Moses taught you. Who taught Moses? God taught Moses. But God didn't say, I'm teaching you. He said, you know why? There's something that's passed on in teaching that stays with you. There's a revelation that comes from God through an individual that lays the foundation to prepare the next generation. And God is saying this to him. According to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Whenever you obey God's word, whenever you embrace God's lifestyle, it will position you for prosperity. God says to him, verse 8, a very common verse, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall, what's the word? Say it again, what's the word? One more time, what's the word? You know what meditate is? Meditate means imagine. Use your imagination. That's meditation. If you have not heard that three-part teaching on the website, which I've done, please go back, log on to Adonai Tube, and listen to it. The, one of the most powerful teaching is the, the teaching on uh, meditation. Meditation and imagination are the same thing. You you know how people worry? You worry over the same thing. over. You take the word of God and worry over it. That means you let the word go round and round, round, meditating, thinking, thinking. Now you understood what meditation is. You know the world teaches us to meditate to gain peace. You need to keep your mind still and uh, that's a false peace. The minute you Go face the world, you have your worries again. In the Bible teaches us meditation for prosperity. You excited about that? I'm going to tell you a secret. I'll dig Say, Listen, secret is he's telling you a secret. Nudge person, tell them Let's pay attention. You know what? Prayer doesn't lead you to a prosperous life. Meditation leads you to a prosperous life. You do your own homework. Wherever there is meditation, there's prosperity. Read Psalm 1. It says, you meditate, you will be like a tree planted by the riverside and you will be prosperous. That's why the enemy keeps you from the word of God because he doesn't want you to be prosperous. Prosperity comes by meditating. When you have enough of God's word in your head and in your spirit, you can't help but be prosperous because you're learning to live life on a different level, in a level where God wants you to live, where God is bigger than our dreams, bigger than our plans, and he's able to do far much more than what we could think or imagine. And this is what the Bible says to Joshua. Meditate on it. How often? Day and night, meditate on it. That you may observe, that you may do, again, do, according to all that is written. For then, who will make your way prosperous? Who's the you? I. Who's the you? So what is God saying? I'm giving you the recipe for your prosperity. If you use the recipe, you will be prosperous. If you have a good biryani recipe, you can't help but have a good biryani. So here's a good recipe for life. Meditate. Walk in, in observance to what God has called you to do. You will make your, will, your life prosperous. That's the theme for this year. And you will have good success. Let's look at Elijah and Elisha. What happened in, in this whole generation? And Moses transferred the ability that God gave him to Joshua. And Joshua's life was transformed by the power of God. What about Elijah and Elisha? 2 Kings two nine, And so it was when they crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I may do for you before I am taken away from you. I just wondered, just wondered. I was curious, what if you had a question like that? Before I go, what would you want me to do? Okay, don't think, okay? Don't. You, you can carry on thinking about that after. But look at Elisha's response to Elijah. Elisha said, please let me have a double portion of your spirit upon me. He didn't ask for something material, he asked for something spiritual. The mark of a disciple is a mark which demonstrates a deep desire for the things of God more than this world. That's the mark of a disciple. Men and women that changed society, men and women that left a mark on society, were men and women who valued God more than what they did the their earthly life. And here was Elisha. We love to get excited with all the miracles that Elisha had. But this was his heart. He says, Elijah... You got good stuff going. You did so much. I want a double portion of it. Elijah tells him, it says, you asked for a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. If you don't see me caught up supernaturally, then you won't get it. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with the horses of fire, separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. He was probably raptured, taken up, supernaturally. You know, if you read the story, please go back and read it. You know how many times Elijah wanted to get Elisha off his back? You wait here. I will go. He says, no, as surely as the Lord lives, I'm following you. He says, no, you wait here. He says, no, as long as I'm here, I will follow you. And I wonder whether Elijah did that purposely to see the intensity of his desire. And there are times that God will allow us to go through challenging times to see how intense our desires for the things of God or for our comfort. He prepared. It's it's a journey that God takes us on. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father. You know, when Elisha said, My father. Elijah wasn't his earthly father. Elisha looked up at Elijah as a spiritual father, as a father figure, for wisdom, for counsel, for for everything. And when he saw Elijah go up, he cried, he tore his clothes. He says, my father, signifying the bond that he had with Elijah is gone. Always when you see tearing of clothes, it's a sign of mourning in the Bible. Then he took the mantle of Elijah and had, that had fallen from him, struck the water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water and divided this way and that, And Elisha crossed over, first miracle, the mantle. He saw Elijah go up, mantle fell, and he did. You know what? If you read the story of Elisha, he did more miracles than what Elijah did. Why? It starts with discipling. I'm going to say something that I never did in the past service, and I feel something significant. All of us in a hurry to get into ministry. But there cannot be ministry without discipling. If you see men and women fallen in this world, if you see false prophets and false teachers in this world, it's because they love ministry more than disampling. When a person is not discipling, discipled and not being faithful in walking the life that God has called them to to live by, then you compromise on your mission, and your mission is short-lived. And that's why there's too many disasters. We sit in the ministry team. Anne and myself are are appalled by the things that we hear. You know, people come to church to be healed and delivered, but so many times people have gone to church and they've been abused and all sorts of things have happened to them. And that's not the heart of God. God meant the church to be a place where they experience God's presence, restoration, living above, not beneath. That's what God's heart is for the church. What about Jesus and his disciples? Let's quickly read in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus walks by the Sea of Galilee, sees two brothers, Simon uh, called Peter, Andrew his brother. They were casting their net into the sea. They were fishermen. Verse 19, he said to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. He says, you're spending your time fishing fish. I'll teach you how to fish men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and the son of Zebedee, and his, and John, his brother, and they were in their boat with their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. You know, why didn't he call the father also? Didn't call the father. He only called the sons and said, Father, you carry on fishing. You know, the mark of a disciple is, you value your relationship with Christ above every other relationship about every other relationship. And that's what happened to these disciples. They valued following Jesus more than anything else. In Mark 8, 34, when he called the people to himself with his disciples also, this is what Jesus said. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Denying yourself doesn't have to do with material things. Those are the easy things to deny yourself. You're denying yourself of your will. Do you know that your will represents your life? Your life is wrapped up in your will. Where you want to go, who you want to marry, how you want to live life, it's all wrapped up in your will. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be a disciple, are you willing to lay down your will? Are you willing to exchange your will for my will? If you're not, then that's not discipleship. You become a follower. Everyone that Jesus came across and were disciples. With transformed lives. We look at this simple story in Luke chapter 19. Now I can narrate the story, but those of you who've never read it, never caught the truths in it, I'm just reading it past. It talks about a man called Zacchaeus. You heard of Zacchaeus? We sing it in Sunday school. a Little man climbed up a sycamore tree. But here's what it says: Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a Tax collector, what was his profession? Tax collector. You, God can touch people in different walks of life, and he was rich. Collecting people's tax. and he sought to see Jesus. But he could not because of the crowd. He was short in stature, so he ran ahead, climbed up the sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place. He looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down. For today I must stay in your house. Our salvation is not our choice; it's God's choice. The Bible says in the Book of John, Gospel of John, "You didn't choose me; I chose you. We only cooperated to God's choice." And here is Jesus entering into Zacchaeus's house and saying. I will come and stay in your house. So he came down and he received Jesus joyfully. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor. Now Jesus didn't tell him anything about giving his goods to the poor. He did it out of a transformed heart. And his conviction was strong that he said, if i have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, accusing them falsely, I will restore fourfold a heart. Of a transformed man. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. You see, when God touches your heart, you automatically do the right thing. You don't say, Well, thank God I stole my past life, and now I got enough money for the future. No, you want to make amends. Something of God that says, I want to live right, I want to do it right. I want to live differently. And that's what Zacchaeus did. a transformed life. You know, I was tempted this morning when I was looking at this. You know, two rich men. What a contrast. Zacchaeus, a rich man, willing to live right. Another rich young ruler, Jesus says, he comes to Jesus and says, I've kept all the commandments. I've done all of this. I'm a good guy. And Jesus says, yes, you are a good guy. But why didn't you give your money to the poor? You know what the Bible says? Put his head down and walk sand. You know why? He knew Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. Zacchaeus knew Jesus as Savior and Lord. And that's why he was called the seed of Abraham. Jesus not only transforms our lives, he transfers his ability. And this is what Jesus said in John 14, 12. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. God's heart is that this generation will do far much more than the previous generation. You have faith for that? You know, we can only do a limit. But I trust that generation will take the ministry further than what it is. On the day of Pentecost, Jesus transferred his ability to the church. The church started with a transformed life, but also with the transference of God's ability until the day in which he was taken up, Jesus, talking about Jesus' resurrection, after through the Holy Spirit had given commands to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Being assembled together, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. But wait for the promise of the Father, which he says, you've heard from me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Our salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. Our walk as a Christian is with the Holy Spirit and we will finish at the end victoriously because of the Holy Spirit. So if you've been struggling in your Christian life, maybe there's something that you need to experience of God's Spirit transforming your life. Yongi Cho did this. He had a prayer mountain. How many of you heard of Yonggi Cho? Yeah. Now he's called some David Cho, if I'm right. Okay. So he had a prayer mountain. Anyone, you're sick. One, one simple solution. Go to the prayer mountain, pass for two days, and then come back. If you have a problem, go to the prayer mountain. And there are a lot of people hiding in that prayer mountain, praying and seeking God. And I thought, it's not a bad strategy, actually. Today's church wants the pastor to pray for them to get a breakthrough. No, you pray for your own breakthrough. And people saw miracles. You know why? Because they learned to depend on God for their transformation rather than an individual. You can't be transformed just by knowledge or even by by the Scriptures. You need the Word of God and you need the Spirit of God. Discipling happened in Jesus' day with the teaching of the Word of God. Jesus says, you're sanctified by my Word but you still need the power of the Holy Spirit to bring that Word into a reality. Here's my experience. I've tried for many years by hearting Scriptures, memorizing them. You know, Trying to remember so that I can live a transformed life. Nothing works. And you'll probably have your own story. Till the day I came and said, God, I cannot. I need your grace. Only you can transform me. Only you can take away these desires which are negative, which is contrary to my feelings. That was that week that God did something and transformed me. Now I want to suggest the same thing to you. If you're not living the life and you're struggling, you need a God intervention. You need to come to God and say, God, I'm tired. I cannot do it. I need you to transform me. Take away the desire. That's one. when people come and ask me to pray for an addiction. I said, God, put a hatred in their heart. And they come back and they say, I saw that alcohol. I looked at it. It didn't even taste. I left it and went away. God did a miracle. Take, take away the desire. Don't deal with the fruit of the, of the flesh. Deal with the root that is there, which is the desire. Start with a design. Say, God, take away that design. Okay, I'm going to share you everything that I know. Or at least uh, a little more than what I shared the first one. You know, I was a smoker. I used to smoke Okay, cigarette and a little bit dope. little bit. As if it makes a difference little bit or much. But anyway, you know, th- that was my life. I, You know, you, this world was not attractive. So I had to go to another world and dope. I must be careful of my actions. But and, and that was a life. You know the day God touched my life, I quit my smoking. Not one cigarette I touched. But the desire was there. I would go to college and everyone will be puffing. And he's smoking, they'll offer me cigarettes. You know what I did? Every billboard I saw with a cigarette advertisement, you've, made, you've seen how those billboards make cigarette smoking so attractive? When someone will be standing there, and when it's time smoking, and then one woman will be there, and then at the bottom, you know, even if you had perfect eyesight, you won't read it. Smoking is injurious to your health. So small. Always the consequences of sin will be small. Promoting of sin will be big. You know what I did to those billboards? I hate that smoking. I hate that smoking. I hate that smoking. Every time I saw the billboard, every time someone smoking, say, disgusting. God, you don't like it. Take it, and I thank you. You take away the desire from me. You know what? Never touch another cigarette. Deliver. it. Why? Cultivate a hatred towards the wrong things in life. Don't say, oh, my mouth is, what? Oh, but Lord Lord Lord, 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 I keep my hands in my pocket. I, won't, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. I wish I could have one smoke. Letter. I don't wait for the fruit. Go for the heart. If God deals with your heart, a person will stand smoke in front of you and you say, get away from me. It's disgusting. You will look at that bottle. Not the bisleri one. The other one. And you know what? You will turn your face to a man. It's disgusting. You know why? Because God transformed your desire. You know, when I hear testimonies at the, at the conferences, this doctor told me he was hooked on pornography. The next week, his friend was watching pornography. He says, for the first time, I looked at it, and it was dead on the inside. No desire, nothing. I walked away. That's a transformed heart. That's what God wants to do in an individual's life. He transforms you. Not only he transforms you, he wants to transfer his ability to you. Look at the second generation disciples. When they were filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter stood up. He proclaimed the gospel. The Bible says in Acts 2.41, they received the word gladly. They were water baptized, a sign of obedience and belonging. And that... Day, 3,000 souls were added to them. As a result of a transformed life, they continued, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and the breaking of bread and bread. What happened? Their priorities changed. And all of a sudden, there was a hunger in their heart for more of God. Gave them sense to studying the word, fellowshipping, being with other like-minded people. As a result, then fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done to the apostles. You know, the hardest thing to change is your friends. I remember after getting saved, after six months, I went back to the old friends, and I found their conversation so empty and so meaningless, I couldn't fit in anymore. And I said, okay, I gave them a good hug, said bye to them, because I knew I'm not going to see them again. I mean, if we're tall on the road, yeah, bye. But never a priority. How do you learn to pray? How do you learn the things of God? It's not by locking yourself up in a room, by locking yourself up with a person who's gone ahead of you. That's why mentorship. The world uses the word mentorship, but actually, the right word in the Bible is discipleship. I remember when I was in college in in Chennai by the Bible College, I stayed with a person was a Nigerian from Africa. Up until that time, I would attend prayer meetings. And sometimes prayer meetings are so quiet that you wonder whether someone is praying or not. And I came to this place when I would hear this man wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, pray loudly, praying another time, hold his Bible. I would watch him in the kitchen. He didn't know that I was watching him. And he will take the Bible and he will pray prayers from the scripture. And he spend hours just praying and talking to God. And then he will go out, miracles will happen, things will happen in his life. And I said to myself, I want what he's got. I want something of that. It created a desire in my heart. You know what happened after he left that one week? I started getting up in the morning. I started taking my Bible and I started praying. And prayer became a foundation in my life. Why am I saying this? All you got to do is hanging out with the right people, and you'll become that. And I said this, if you hang around with a person who's a carpenter, you'll become a carpenter. If you hang around with a person who's a designer, you'll become a designer. If you hang around with a good sinner, you'll become a good sinner. Can somebody shout an amen? If you hang around with a godly person, you will become godly. You will. You can't help but not be godly. That's one discipleship. God never gave us principles. He gave us people. You know why? Because through people, there could be transference of character, transformation of character and transference of ability. This is God's idea, right from Old to New Testament. Nothing has changed. That's why it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, when Jesus rose from the dead, he gave them the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service. The church was meant to prepare people for service. Works of service. And I'm thrilled to know the number of people that are actually involved in ministry. Either in the ministry team, serving team, evangelism that you heard involved. Why? Because the ministries that God's given is to prepare you for your mission. A transformed life before a life of mission. And I'm saying this again. It's very easy to jump into ministry. It's very attractive. But the foundation is discipling before ministry. That's the way God works it. And he's given the church, not principles, he gave them principles, people, foundations on which the church is built to be effective in this world. Purpose of all discipleship is to make us effective in dismantling the kingdom of darkness. Here's what Jesus did. He says, he who sins, 1 John 3, 8, is of the devil, but the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. Whether it was bondage, whether it was oppression, whether it was sickness, whether people were demonized, he came to destroy the works of the enemy. What's the purpose of discipleship? He trained the disciples to do exactly what he did. And he says, now go do it. Go into this world. Transform lives and transfer that ability so that we can be effective in dismantling the works of the enemy in the lives of individuals as well as the lives of this world people are struggling and held in bondage with. The only two things to make an effective disciple is the Holy Spirit and His Word. If you can set the tone for 2019, make your fellowship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit a priority. Whether you feel like it or not, make it a priority. Never, never, never miss the Word. You know, whether I'm on a holiday or not, my Bible reading is my Bible reading. You know why? It's the Word that that transforms people. People pray more, but don't read the Bible. That's why you don't see breakthroughs. The Word is what disciples you. The Word is what makes you prosperous. Prayer will comfort you. The Word will challenge you and make you a disciple. And may you have 2019 set in the right direction and saying, God. I will spend time with your word. Your word will be my meditation. You're driving to work instead of abusing every Tom, Dick, and Harry that's cutting across you. You memorize on the word and they let them cut across you. But you say, Lord, thank you, Lord. When I meditate, I will be prosperous. Is that okay? Good discipline. Somewhere has to start. Oh, tell me about it. The most challenging thing for my character is on the road. I don't know where all those were. desires rise up within me. So this fella, this is, they're like shoot, like bullets targeting you. But you don't want, it's not worth it. It's worth everything to live a Godly life. Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai hyphen dot com